Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So the sweet spot is going to be the MXL at the front there. You can go nice and close. Yeah, man. Let's turn him up a little bit. So I'd like to, if it's okay with you, Christian, um, begin where all good stories should begin right at the start and hear all about where you grew up and your folks and your siblings and your childhood. and We want to go way back. Okay, deal. I'm on airplane mode, so I'm guaranteed to win. Okay, then we're both winners. <laughs> I'm like 90% vegetarian, and occasionally I'll treat myself to a little bit of meat. I'm not anti-meat. As I said to you earlier, my granddad was a farmer, so I've been around the the meat industry, if you want to call it that, for many years, and I think each to their own is my take on it. I feel like I feel healthier for eating less meat. And I think if people don't want to eat meat, that's great. But if they do, then that's also their choice, and that's fine too. There we go. Uh, Matt Pritchard, I know you do tours, but he's, he's a lot more on the ethical side. He certainly is. But he as well comes from the – because he's super obsessed with exercise and health now. And I think for him it was the case of turning his life around because I think he reached a point where he was partying so hard. And I think he said he looked at himself one day on TV and he was all bloated and yellow, and he's like, I'm going to die if I don't make some changes. So now, instead of doing crazy stunts, he's doing triathlons and Ironmans. And but it was a moment when 
That's the craziest part, isn't it? He told me once that he went straight from a crack house to a marathon. After he, all night out and about doing whatever he was doing and then straight to the track and ran however many miles. That's insane to me. No one. So, yeah, yourself, where did life begin for you? Life began for me. Um, my father grew up. Do you remember the TV show Kojak? Of course. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was baptized and grew up in Iowa, and then also I spent another half of my childhood in Virginia Beach. My mom's side of the family, so my dad was the officer in the Navy, picking up astronauts as they would um, um, kind of orbit the orbit the Earth when they would splash down. So he was on deck calling the shots for Gemini 11 splashing down. Um, and then my mother was the beauty queen pageant winner down in Virginia Beach. So she fell in love with the with the officer. So it was like an all-American childhood. All-American. Well, yeah, except for my mom was, you know, backstage with like the spinners. And the <laughs> and, uh, so she was a proper soul diva, was she? She was the disco queen of the East Coast. So my mom was at Studio 54. Wow. Uh, partying up with Warhol and all of them. You know, she would dress up as Wonder Woman and sit on men's laps at conventions. And dad was, you know, Midwest, you know, ROTC, uh, that kind of guy, you know. And and then I got kidnapped at the age of, I think, seven. My mom kidnapped me from my father. Then my dad kidnapped me back. And I just kind of was hidden on farms for a while. Trying to, my parents fought over my sister and I. And my dad won us in a landmark court case because my dad, uh, my mom wanted full rights. And my dad's like, well, you know. A stay-at-home mom. Stay-at-home mom. Uh, so all of a sudden, my dad now had to be a stay-at-home dad. So he changed his career, raised us. Like I'm raising my kids. And what a strange kind of crazy parallel. It's come full circle. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's one that you need to get your kids. You know, because I am going. I'm going. I'm, I mean, I'm divorced, but I'm going through a settlement now, and I've got two of the three kids. And it's you know, it's a lot of it's down to how my father raised me. So yeah, my dad raised me. Saw my mom on weekends here and there, and um, she well, she was really into music. So you know, we grew we grew up to. Hot Rocks and, you know, you know Talking Book, uh, Arrows, uh, Toys in the Attic, you know. Um, That's some of the best records ever made for me. Um, <laughs> Sick, Sick as a Dog off Rocks yeah. by Aerosmith is one of my all-time favorite songs. And I think of Talking Book, I believe when I fall in love this time, it will be forever, is one of the most beautiful songs well, ever I written. Born to talking book. Really? I was actually DJing at University College Hospital <laughs> next to the missus and playing Talking Book. In between Bach, just in case. I didn't really want to hear Bach, but I thought it would be soothing. Yeah, yeah. But it kept putting me to sleep, so I put it back on. Talking book, Switch know? it back to Stevie. <laughs> so when did you when did you first discover, well, what came first as well, music or skate culture? Or was it two and one of the same? Yeah, it was, I think it was the same. So I was, I had my first skateboard when I was like six, metal wheels. Then those little banana boards with the little urethane wheels. And then my Uncle Rip, my mom's brother, was like the local surfer. So 
you know, getting boogie boards and taking surfing and getting better skateboards. So kind of developed there. And then my stepmom got me really into snowboarding at 85, when I, in 1985, 86, I got my first snowboard. So I remember going out to uh, Jackson Hole and I think I saw one snowboarder in 10 days. And everybody else just spat at me. What, because everyone else was a skier? Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 you had to take tests to go on mountains back in 86, 87. And people just kind of just look down at you. You know, you were you were the scourge. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think people forget now how much of an outlaw sport surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding was. Like like punk rock. Like if you had blue hair, you were bad news. Basically, you were like a troubled punk. Now it's just the norm: tattoos and piercings. Yeah. Kind of modern. Yeah, isn't that weird? It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always I I was into action sports more so in the snowboarding, but I still skateboard. You know, every couple days. So the food's always been there, has it? Well, it's because he knew barbecue from his dad, and when he got full rice to us, he's like, "Listen, you need to run the grill, cook these up. I'll do some sides, and then we'll, you know, feed you, me, and your sister." So, you know, I'd be cooking and burning burgers and hot dogs, and every now and then he would give me a steak. It was never dry aged because he was a greedy sort. He was a greedy card salesman for Hallmark. And after, after, get this, after Navy, he got. IBM as a sales guy. Back then, it was like an entire floor of a building that did what Calcutta does now. And he quit the day I was born to get a job with Hallmark. I was like, why, Dad? IBM, you'd be rich. Anyway. Just to do right by his family. He just, he just wanted to have a more stable job. Yeah. Yeah, greeting cards and ornaments and, and gift wrap sold back then. Computers. Yeah, not so much. They'll never things. take off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So he... I remember one time I was I was doing a steak and I was I think I was like seven or eight and I cut the yeah I cut the fat off and he's like what are you doing I go well I'm gonna cut the fat off eventually he's like no that's where the flavor is and I'm like oh and that's where I started understanding how fat is flavor and then I just started getting more into it and into it and uh, making our TV series rad I went to take a grill on tour so we would do the skateboarding snowboarding show for Channel Five. When did you move to the UK? To backtrack oh, yeah, a moment. Sorry, so what brought you over here? Was it your whole family or did you make the career move? I was making snowboard movies out in Colorado. And I came over here to, to get distribution. And I was really into the UK music scenes. I was into Manchester. You know, I liked the Happy Mondays and the Smiths and, and Joy Division. And I was a huge cure head. Um, so I came over here because I, I, I think I had Swerve Driver on the soundtrack. And William Orbit did the first track on my first film. So I was coming here to see the musicians and the artists that I work with and go see some live gigs and that swerve driver over at the, the island in Ilford and then um, got a movie and an album deal with Sony and ended up doing a music video for Jamiroquai called Re- called uh, Light Years ended up doing music videos for Reef um, directing directing and then we got a movie and an album deal through Sony and Columbia and it just seemed like a good place to kind of base myself so my other two partners stayed in Vail we bought a school bus. We traveled in that, but I was kind of bouncing around the world, you know, trying to find money to make the movies and do my bit of filming. And eventually, just kind of based myself here. I mean, I was only here about six months a year, but then I kind of made myself here more permanently. And then we did that pilot for Channel Five, and ended up we were one of the longest running shows on Channel Five. I think we did two hundred and fifty episodes, thirteen seasons. I used to grow up watching that show, man. <laughs> I remember at that time on mainstream TV, there wasn't much, if any. Um, coverage of skate culture at all. 
Who was the, the little guy? He'd always have a backpack on. Oh, Mark Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just found Mark Churchill's 1999 uh, sponsor me tape. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and now he's like the Arnold Palmer of uh, skate parks. So he designs skate parks, builds them, and then demos there, and still a sick skater. I think he just, I think he just turned 40, which is weird. They were taking him on, taking him on road trips when he was 13. You know, it's time flies. Remember, I remember your boys Matt Pritchard and Dayton when you know they were pro skaters, and we'd be in some rinky-dink bar in Birmingham watching people sell packets of ham and radios in the background and, <laughs> and snake bites. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the first time you met them? Was it like a a monumentous occasion? Yeah, just because Pritchard is a, you know, he's larger than life, but he's just this lovely, lovely gregarious, loving person. Like he is just, uh, he took me in and and would always hang and loved a good conversation and and um, I knew a bit of Dayton just because I was sponsoring um, and I kind of invested in Fifty Fifty Skateboard Shop, Danny Wainwright's shop and in Bristol, so I'd see Dayton here and there, but it was mainly Pritchard that I hung out with. Um, and then I, I championed Pritchard versus Dayton, their first, you know, VHS tape. Remember, I invited uh, Dave Carney from Jackass to come over and, and write an article for Big Brother Skateboard Magazine on the band skate team, which I was also managing when I was making my TV show. Um, so from 1996 to 2007, I managed the band skate and snowboard team, uh, produced and presented Rad for Channel 5, the BAFTA winning series. Christian's got a BAFTA from that time in his kitchen. I was like, whose is that? Mine, dude. That's so good. First time uh, Channel 5 ever won a BAFTA. We, we actually won a BAFTA the same night that Peppa Pig did. Right. And they were on the same table as Peppa Pig producers. Yeah. Much better than Peppa Pig. Yeah, yeah. That'd been surreal. <laughs> and, uh, we were the first two BAFTA Channel 5 ones. They did, a, they did the collab with Nickelodeon. And, um... So you kind of had almost like a hand in the birth of Sanchez then, you could say, in an abstract kind of a way. Well, I mean, Do you remember your reaction to the first time you saw Dan Joyce by the lake shoving the shit in his face? Because that was obviously the scene which kind of took that underground skate tape to the level of notoriety that it reached, wasn't it? Joyce scared me. I always felt that Richard and Dayton, you know, even though they were doing stupid stuff, I just thought Joyce, he just didn't have a, he had no off switch for what was really, really wrong and disturbing. Yeah. Have you seen their earlobes recently? Both of them are like purple and scar tissued up. Like they look like they've seen serious damage. (laughs) When you're about to pass out from from a fever and you're you're ready to puke and then you see all the blood fly off. Then then Dayton took an air pistol and shot himself point blank into the balls that night. I remember we were doing um, board exit out at Cali that weekend. I just kept seeing him outside on doorsteps doubled over like the whole weekend. I go, are you okay? He's like, I just shot myself. Again. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Were you at the skate competition where Joycey ran out into the middle of the like floor, gimped up? Yeah, I was there. That was, uh, because that was one of those legendary moments, right? Because he started going up to all the American skaters and freaking them out. Um, I was filming it 
Chad Muska. I mean, it was the, it was Mike Mullally. They had a Jaguar in the middle. New Kingdom were playing. Remember that band? No. Kind of like fuzzy, dirty hip hop. Right. More kind of like early Beastie Boys, and they were the band. And yeah, we did the Gimp out there. I filmed it. I've got footage of it somewhere. Have you? Oh, oh mate, we need to tap you up for some of that. We've been showing a lot of unseen clips on this tour, and uh, it's just like a mine of gold. It's crazy, isn't it? Because in this, we were talking about this a moment ago, in the pre-digital, pre-social media, pre-smartphone world, that stuff wasn't accessible. You couldn't just go onto a computer and watch guy shits in his face or guy pulls hook out of here. So it was radical, wasn't it, what they were doing? Jackass, Sanchez, CKY, all of that stuff. Was, it was so of the moment as well. All the skateboarding stuff. Like if you look at Tony Hawk's 900, that's my footage from when we were at X Games in SF when um, all this mayhem, the Pappas movie. Yeah. I love that. ESPN wouldn't sell them the footage, so they contacted me because someone uploaded a clip from Rad when we were at the X Games, and they put the, it was our footage that Sunset and Vine, who produced our show, is the producer show. You know, that's our 900 that you see forever. Um, it, it was just hard to get a hold of that stuff. It, and there was no immediacy. You could just look it up. You had to go to the skateboard shop. You had to buy the video. You had to like tune in or sit your your VH. VCR to record Rad at the time just to get to get that kind of niche world. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Pritchard, Dayton, Jackass, we did with Rad. Um, these are early names. And, but not, it's funny. You always think TV's timeless. That's bullshit. YouTube's timeless. I've got a video on there where I built a water, we built a water wheel, we cooked a whole venison using the power of the river to spin the venison over a live. Wow. Car, and that's had like 1.4 million views. That's timeless. You know, I'll, I'll earn money off that for the rest of my life. I mean, it's micropayments, it's pence, but, you know, that will earn me money forever. Whilst all the stuff that me and Dayton and Pritchard did. Hours and hours and hours, days. 3,500 episodes. I've produced 3,000 hours of network television I've produced and presented. I'll never see a dime of it. Do you own it all? No. No. And that, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. That's why I started writing books. I need to go read a copy of my book. Sorry. That's all good. Top tracks is a good barbecue too. Top albums is a good barbecue too. It's very, you know, it's that's what DJ barbecue is about. I know I'm jumping ahead about my new incarnation, but it's about entertainment because I think the quickest way to someone's heart is through their stomach and through their ears. And you and I are both huge, huge fans of music. I mean, th- there's no bigger fan of music than you. And you know, we we celebrate artists and we like to tell the stories and and. You know, I love reading biographies. By the way, if you the best. a really good biography. Go on. Um, it was authorized, and last second it got unauthorized. Life in the Fast Lane, Don Henley. Okay, perfect. Seriously, you think... You think Motley Crue were Hellraisers, right? Yeah. Eagles. I mean, Eagles, Joe Walsh, he coined the phrase, party till you puke. That's from him. They, Him and the manager of the Eagles would take a chainsaw on tour, and... They would get all the keys to, you know, Glenn Fry and Don Henley and, and, and all those dudes' uh, rooms, and they would lower the furniture by three inches with a chainsaw, <laughs> put new, new door frames in, you know. They were they would take all the higher cars and play bumper cars outside of mall parking lots on a Sunday. Different level of decadence, isn't it? Because it was before, I think, restriction came in. Well, there was no social media, so you could do whatever the fuck you want. You're off the grid. I love that tune that Joe Walsh has on the solo album where the cover, that hugely iconic shot, which must have how they shot it, I've got no idea, but him in the pool 
underneath the water with the table floating everywhere and its life's been good to me. That's a jam. He changed the game because those guys did not move. And Henley was like, it's all about the music. And then, you know, they, they, they started hearing the rumblings of this East Coast rocker coming out, working class, you know, coming over and doing these killer live shows, lots of energy. And, and you know, they were still killing it for the West Coast, but they were getting, you know, Springsteen was stealing that thunder. So then Walsh joins the band, starts moving around a bit more. And anytime someone moved in the Eagles, the crowds cheered. People want to see some movement. Which pissed Henley off, <laughs> but um, Glenn Fry liked it because Glenn, Glenn was playing backing guitar for uh, Bob Seger out of Detroit. And you know the reason they all met the Eagles. I know we're talking about the Eagles, but uh, Kenny Rogers was an A and R scout before country artist. He discovered Henley out in I think Austin, Texas. Brought him out to L.A. to make to make his band big. Didn't work. They were all hanging out at the Troubadour with uh, Jackson Brown and Linda Ronstadt, and the first time they all played together was a ba- as a backing band for Linda Ronstadt. That's the first time the Eagles played together. That's amazing. We sound good. Let's keep doing this. I guess the band, same story, isn't it? You're starting out just jamming with Dylan, and then next thing you're one of the biggest bands in the world. What's your take on L.A.? Do you like it? I like visiting it. You like um, visiting? Yeah, I mean... Nice place for the weekend. It is. I, um, and I had a lot of friends out of college that went there. And Did you ever live there? No, no. but I would go there to find money for snowboard films and skate projects. And there's 11 guys living in a one-bedroom in Hollywood, you know. But now all my friends are, like, quite successful. My friend Christian Hoffman was the editor on Punk and Radio 911 and, and now Brooklyn 999. And he's doing all those shows. And uh, I go see, you know, Dave Carney from Jackass and his lovely wife, Tanya. Um, I love L.A. because Lady Hawk's out there, so I go visit her because I was championing her when we were recording radio. I love going to L.A. Yeah. I like kind of spending more time in Oakland and, and uh, SF. Um, it's okay. You know, I, I think I think I miss not being able to live in New York, but I came to London and Birmingham and the rest of the world. Early on, we'll talk about Kerrang! in a moment, but early on for you, what were some of the like life-defining shows that you saw? You told me about one a moment ago. Would that be up there? Life-defining shows? Yeah. Like gigs that you saw as a kid or a young man? Oh that just for you, it's still right there in your retina is some of the most special things you've ever witnessed. I mean, I was, I, so I was at, when I got my degree at, radio, in, at the University of Maryland, I went to Maryland four and a half years. I kind of went extra semester because I kind of partied a lot. What were you studying? Radio, television, and film. Right on. And then with a minor in English and a minor in, in speech communications. And then um, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to go move out to Colorado and be a ski bomb. Why don't you come out? Well, I'm going to finish my degree because I've been here for four years and they're good done. Went out there. He got. He had a bed for me in, in the Alps. I'm like, I'll be a snowboard bomb. I love snowboarding. And then I end up uh, getting a job at a local radio station called Kaski, covering the Gulf War in 1991. So I just re- I babysat CNN and read local news, weather reports, and just produced uh, a 10-hour show on Saturday, a 12-hour show on Sunday, and two eight-hour shows on Monday and Tuesday. All live, obviously. All live. But I babysat CNN, so I had a clock, and I would just you know, come in and out of all the ad breaks and do local news and weather reports and ski reports, which I produced on cards and everything. And I got my taste of radio and got this work for TV. Um, and, I just, I, and I always liked music. I was always listening to a lot of indie music at the time. At college, I was DJing at my fraternity house. So I just started going to see bands and you know, hearing Nirvana for the first time. And I remember going to see uh, Pearl Jam open up for Pump 
cans open up with hot peppers and you know all three on one bill back to back California Cation, by the way, flawless. Um, so it's funny, <laughs> Pumpkins upstaged the uh, Peppers, so they fired him. They threw him off the tour and replaced him with a little band from Washington called Nirvana, which went on to do the same thing. But I did the same arena, Dan Berman Nichols Arena. I got, I went and saw. I was a huge Breeders fan back in the early 90s. So it was Melvin's Breeders, Nirvana, and I went to see the Breeders, and Nirvana blew me away. What a voice, and then four months later, that was it. It was over. So I'm very lucky to have been able to witness it all. And what I liked, and then, you know, I, I got to meet their PR people over here, Bad Moon, Antoine, who's going to Arctic Monkeys, and he's doing Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys, and um, I went to go see him when Food Fighters started, you know, saying these rumblings and he's like Christian David's not, there's no tickets for press you have to buy a ticket the enemy Melody Maker they, he will not give any press tickets away I don't have tickets I have to go buy tickets so myself and the bass player from Ash Mark, Mark Hamilton I think we just drove down to Yulu and just bought four tickets and I got to see the very first Food Fighters gig the first one the first one on, on European soil wow yeah Gut or mouth. They just played Slam Dunk Festival that I was on. That singer is a wild, wild man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's for me what I loved about growing up in a household of music as well is you loved everything from the Jackson 5 to Prince to Madonna to Led Zeppelin to The Doors like it was just all there wasn't it well I mean, it's funny I didn't really appreciate Madonna until much later I always, always I really didn't like pop music I mean I think you kind of went through that a little bit in the yeah way. yeah alternative yeah I think it's in the hall on the stairwell, right? No, dude, here, no. Stay right there. <laughs> this is my old box. Props, people. When I was a kid. What was the first record you ever bought, you remember? Yeah. Me and Bobby McGee. Is it really? Janice. So he's got a little seven inch box here, people. Oh, you've even got a list of what's in there. Paul McCartney, Boss, Skaggs, Bette Midler, ELO, Charlie Daniels Band, Ross. Loads of ELO. Peter Gabriel, Games Without Frontiers, Rosington Collins Band. That was the <laughs> of, um, Leonard Skinner, Cool in the Gang. Yeah. Chuck Brown, The Soul Searchers, Buster Lee said that's DC Go-Go. That's the sample from um, It's Hot in Here. Now, right, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that Dave Grohl covered that when he did the Sound City documentary series. He got all into the go-go stuff and Dude, like. You know, you know he's from there, right? 
Yeah, yeah. He's from Virginia, and you know, we would see, you know, the guys. Was it Wool? His first name or Scream? Scream, I think. Yep. So we would see those guys at the nine thirty club. Were you ever into the hardcore stuff that was going on, Minor Threat and Bad Brains, any of that, or was that slightly before your time? No, no. I, w- I mean, that was my time because I went to high school with uh with with the guy in Flem, and Flem would open up for Black Flag, and um and I had a lot of friends in the DRI and Government Issue, Jody's Jody Foster's Army. Um, so I listened to it, yeah, but I was really into hip hop and rap. Back right. Then it was just called rap. So I was going to the, the Cap Center to see these nine band rap go go shows. So. A young little kid comes out. He's like 15, called L O Cool J, and and then and then Chuck Brown, and then Run DMC, and Teddy Fresh and the Get Fresh. And you saw all of that as it was breaking. That, that, that was the beginning of it. That was like you know 80, 82, 83, 84, and then Purple Rain. So I was really into you know black music, black basically, music. yeah. But then when I got to college, I went into alternative. Yeah, yeah. And I always grew up on metal and rock because my mom. And it's it's really funny. My oldest son now, Blue, he's got a He's turning me on to stuff I didn't know about. Like he, he's so into like early Black Flag before Heavy Rollins. Now in and then with Heavy Rollins, and I'm like, well, you know, check out Circle Jerks. He's really into Circle Jerks, Minor Threat, you know, you, uh, Fugazi, because um, they're all from DC. Yeah. So it's it's funny now. I'm kind of getting back into it, but I just wish he wouldn't play the ten anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You want to you know gently start the day, don't you? <laughs> um, so Kerrang, how does that chapter in your life start? Because so, I didn't, I never knew you had background in radio. For me, when I kind of first just got involved in radio and was in a radio studio and saw how it all worked, I fully fell in love with the medium. I don't know whether you had a similar thing. Like the thrill that live radio gives you is a very unique buzz, isn't it? You, you couldn't have said it any better. I, I one thing I miss these days is I miss radio. Because I, I, when I was in Colorado, you know, I produced my own show, and you know, and after doing news, which kind of sucked. But you have to earn your earn your way in. Of and course, yeah. When the war was over, they made me a, a music disc jockey. Only problem was the station I was on switched back to twenty four seven country. <laughs> I think I lasted one week. <laughs> I was like, "That's Patricia Bird. That's Garth Brooks. I'm much too young to be this damn old on 1047-993 K Ski. You're in the heart of it, Ski Country, K Ski. Um, <laughs> That's ingrained in your brain. Oh, <laughs> so then I went out to the East Coast and just started surfing and just partying. And then I got a phone call from the program director. like, hey, I want to put you on FM. I'm like, and FM was playing the classics in today's best rock, 104.7993 K-Ski. And they brought me back out, graveyard shift. But you got to work your way in. So midnight till 6 or 2 till 8, these six-hour ungodly shows. You know, I remember a period I would just play Dark Side of the Moon. You know, for would you get to choose all the music or would it be playlisted? You had a clock where you had to pick. You have your free picks. Piece. Yeah. So, um, but you could pick within them. And it was like, you know, repeat rules. But it's funny, we had two songs with a no re- the three week no repeat rule. Can you guess what two s- seminal songs just would get played too much when you had to put a no repeat rule? Are they of that era or just of all time? Of all time. American? Yeah, it is. Two songs, only two songs in our entire in our entire library that had a three week no repeat. Brian Adams, no. no. Walk on the wild side. Walk on the wild side. And rock lobster. And rock lobster, <laughs> really? <laughs> but if it wasn't, dude, the B fifty twos rule, man. If it wasn't for the B fifty twos, you would 
not have had the entire, really, alternative Athens scene, which gave us R.E.M., which was the birth of real alternative music. You know, early R.E.M., Murmur, Vice Pageant, I mean, that was... Document, the, Reckoning. Oh, my God, Document and Reckoning? Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, and you talk, you hear Stipe, it's like, we're only here because the B-52 has paved the way. Uh, and, you know, 52 Girls, you know, what a killer tune. But that album, 1979, Boys Don't Cry, 1979. You know, Devo, Q Are We Not Men, A, We Are Devo. 70s, it's crazy, isn't it? That's 83 to 86. And I'm like, you're still in the wrong decade, my friend. 79. What a, what a year for music. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, for me... That whole New York scene, obviously some bands came from just outside, like the Cramps or whatever, but the fact that in New York, within the space of, say, two years, hip-hop, disco, and punk was all born, sure. which went on we to then dominate all modern music. In DC right now. You get DC it's crazy. And, and, and hip-hop as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and hardcore, but New York was rap, was, uh, you know, all, a lot of the, I mean, New York was everything. Yeah. And Did you live in New York at all? No. No? You know, it's funny, the New York scene, the D.C. scene, but New York kind of stole everything. And then the California hip-hop scene started happening. But then you had the Midwest. I mean, you had this young kid called Kid Rock who was shit-hot mixer, you know. know, And and he's going on tour with Ice Cube, but he's playing Bob Seger tapes in in this tour bus getting yelled at by all the, you know, N.W.A. lot. And it's just funny watching these early scenes, but to... For these scenes to burgeon and to, to blossom, it just must have been such a wonderful time to to watch. I mean, I was there for the DC scene to blow up. I mean, I was I was in a B boy crew called um, what were we called? The Pop Platoon. Love it. So this is like eighty two, eighty three. I was Sergeant Short. There was Lieutenant <laughs> Love, Corporal Crush, and Private Papa Live. We would do battles against the IBM crew and Crazy Legs down at Chuck E. Cheese. So I was all into that. Um, but as soon as I got to, to the university, it, it all went. Because you're trying to impress girls and, and to be cool. We had, you know, it was the, the skaters alternative scene. So Susie and the Banshees. And, yeah, all the goth kind of stuff, was, was it? really into Mission and, and Psychedelic Furs. And, you know, Sisters into, of Mercy. Oh, I got all into that. You know, I love my goth. And, that was, and then I remember calling in sick and just following the Cure around on the Disintegration Tour. So what an album. Last weekend, and they, they opened up a playing song off. Oh, really? That was beautiful. Dude, who was your first ever interview? Do you remember? Love it. <laughs> so I, so we, they were touring with the Wallflowers. Right, okay. Um, so Jacob Dylan. Jacob yeah. Dylan, when we went to Denver to go see him, and I remember the Wallflowers, we had nowhere to stay, so they just let us crash on their floor. You know, the guitarist of the Wallflowers. We just ended up just drinking all night with them and spin doctors. Super nice guys. How did you first meet Reef? Because you did quite a lot of work with them, right? Yeah, I was, How good that they're back as well. Sending little cassette singles for Good Feeling, 
and I'd be on a little beach with my Walkman listening. Oh, this is good. So I came back, met them, started directing some of these videos for them, and used Feed Me as the Feed Me as the opening track on our second film. Didn't you do a documentary with them as well? I did a lot of filming with them, and I went on tour with them. And their first, their first two tours, we did all the little the Driftwood, yeah, yeah, St. Agnes or St. Ives, and all those kind of small venues. And I went to you know Reading and and Phoenix and yeah, all that stuff. So, so I mean, they we used to go surfing and skating together. They're, they're good friends. Yeah, Gary's got a, a flat in Camberwell, so he'll come over for a cookout. Nice. Wait for good, good-hearted boys. He just did a track with Skindred as well on their latest album. He did a guest vocal spot. What an like an unlikely combination, but it worked. Yeah, I love Skindred. I don't think people realize how super incredibly popular that Skindred still is. They, you know, Dan Pugsley and, and Benji and all those guys. In the live environment, they crush. They're one of those bands that are incapable of doing a bad show. That's right. Like, if you go to a Skindred gig, you are guaranteed to have the best night ever. Every time. Nicest guys ever. Yep. So you're backstage getting everyone after they come off stage and doing yeah. interviews with the winners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we're on the red carpet, you know, interviewing, you know, Al, I remember interviewing Alice Cooper. I'm like, dude, I was DJing to 5,000 people at Grass Pop, you know, and I had Marilyn Manson headlining, Slipknot headlining, and I tried to fill the fill a field with 5,000 people, and I was playing all these big hits, and I was just stumbling for something to play, and I went to Poison and just saved my ass. He's like, I was like, so thank you for recording Poison, and Alice Cooper's like, I got an interesting fact for you. Did you know that Poison is the most played song and the most popular song in strip joints in America? <laughs> Has to be, doesn't it? I'd say either that or Pour Some Sugar. It would have to be between those two. Which is funny because <laughs> Joe Elliott was the only person I lost the ability to speak um, at. So I was trying to interview him at Bethlehem Hammer Golden God Awards. And uh, I was like, oh my fucking God, it's Joe Elliott. <laughs> I just lost the ability to speak. <laughs> That's <laughs> not like you. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite story, I was interviewing Scott Gorm from the Pen Lizzie. And um, after the interview, he's a, he's a larger than life man, Gorm. And he's like, he's like, hey, man, where are you from? I go, I'm from Washington, D.C. And he starts telling a story about them playing in D.C. And I was like, and he tells a story about, he was like, I was on top of the speaker stacks. And I jump off, you know, I jump about eight foot down. The guitar goes one way, my body goes the other. And then my kneecap flies off about 10 feet into the crowd. And, of course, they had to stop the gig and pull me off because I've just destroyed my knee. And, you know, I get, I get put in an ambulance, taken down to this hospital. But luckily for me, an assassination attempt went down that day. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, the Ronald Reagan assassination attempt was that day. So they flew every top surgeon in America to that hospital to, just for whatever was wrong with Reagan to work on him. So a lot of doctors were sitting around twiddling their thumbs. So Gorham got like four of the best knee surgeons ever to work on him. Because they were like just stoked because they had something to do because they're not, you know, they weren't required on, on Reagan. And he got the best surgeons in, in America to fix up his knee. Amazing. Right like, right place, right time. Right place, right time. And after he told me, so I was like, we just put away our camera gear. I was like, can we record that please? Because that's a great story. He's like, yeah, get it out. Let's do it. You got it? Love it. But you know, Always like, got your director's head on. I like that. You, you, you know, a lot of times, you, you warm them up. You warm, you warm the, the artist up, and they might be a bit guarded. And then once you're putting all the stuff away, they start giving you all the gold. I've had that so many times. Chris Martin from Coldplay. Uh, you know, it's, it's so many times. I mean, do you have a story where 
you got the best stuff as soon as you turn the camera off. Me, the microphone off. There's, there's several, but the main one that comes to mind is me and Johnny Doom went to interview Rob Zombie. And Johnny interviewed him, I interviewed him, and both those interviewers were fairly average, and he wasn't really given anything like exciting up. And then we started packing away, and then we start talking about Tim Burton and Ed Wood. And he just goes off for like 20 minutes about how much he loves that film and he loves Tim Burton. And at the end of like the chat, he's like, do you guys want me to dedicate a song to you tonight at the show? So me and Johnny are like, yeah, play what? Which is off the Hellbilly Deluxe 2 album. And he's like, damn, we haven't been playing that song. I'll have a word with Joey Jordison, who's drumming at the time. He'll learn it real quick. We'll play it tonight. And then that night he came. I was like, this is for Matt and Johnny from Kerrang. Just went into it. But it was exactly one of those moments where I was like, this should have been the interview. Yeah. Just 20 minutes about Ed Wood. Oh, I had the I'd have like guys who pile up and even friendly fires. They would, I would interview them. And they were just kind of being really quiet. And then as soon as the interview was done, they would go, hey, are you the guy from Rad? And I go, yeah. And they go, they start hitting I told you it was him. I told you. And they get all excited. I go, was that what you were trying to figure out the whole time we were interviewing? <laughs> was if I was the guy from Rad, they go, yeah, we just weren't too sure. You look familiar. And I go, can we now do the interview now that we've gotten that out of the way? And, and, they go, and then all of a sudden, it's like... They give up the goods. They give up the goods. It's crazy, isn't it? I think some. I think with a lot of young bands, it's nerves, and then I think also with a lot of more seasoned pros, is just like they're so tired of interviewing that they don't know that they're sitting on this gold a lot of the time. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like people, course, people like Alice Cooper are very self-aware. He's, he's one of the, the king. Right. Wow. What was that for? Uh, Lawrence Fishbourne. So we were at the press junket. So he, he got to interview Keanu Reeves, and I got Brookheimer and uh, Jenna Pickett Smith and Lawrence Fishburne, and he got Agent Smith as well. Oh man, Hugo he Weaving. Got, he yeah, got Hugo Weaving and and, um, and Ed's over in the press junket. So he was fairly unknown at that point, though, wasn't he? I think all he'd done was the Priscilla Queen of the Desert film. Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, he was because it was before Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? It's got to be clean, Larry. It's got to be clean. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, but so we're on the we're on the red carpet, and Hugo Weaving comes by, and um, Ed Ed asked him one more question. He said, "Where did you get that weird way of talking in the movie? Because you play a program." And he goes, "It's really interesting you said you asked that because no one's asked that." It's a great question. He said, "I got it from watching news readers because they're reading auto cue, and sometimes they just go with the wrong." Like Anchorman shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. And he's Aussie, <laughs> so they come up anyway. Yeah. So he, he just made sure he got it all kind of wrong because you're a program. When do you, when do you come up or when do you come down? You know, he, it was always a bit mysterious the way he finished sentences. It yeah. It kind of sounded a bit off. And I think he really appreciated that question because he worked hard just watching newsreaders, especially when they got it wrong. And no one picked it up till then. Till Ed Lee picked it up. That's, I mean, he's done incredibly well for himself. So for you, when you were sort of doing the live MC compare gigs, what are some of the big kind of, you know, events that you hosted that stand out? Oh, man, we, we got the world record for the, for the air guitar for Guinness. So we were watching <laughs> Brutal Legend, that heavy metal game that Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. Alfred and Rita Ford and Ozzy Osbourne. 
I was the host. I think I wore a cape and speedos and I don't know. And we had four hundred fifty people play air guitar. We had Ace of Spades, Motorhead. Um, yeah, we had, we had the Guinness World Records. So I hosted that. You know, we would do big sound systems in the in the in the campgrounds to three thousand people to download five thousand of Crass Pop. Those are big. It's, I said earlier on about radio being one of the biggest rushes. For me, the only one that tops it, and it's light radio, but you can actually see the audience there in front of you, and that's why I love doing these live Q&As, is live hosting yeah. is such a rush. Dude, any kind of live hosting. You can do Dirty, you know, dirty Sanchez. And, you know, it's just, I think the live stuff's better because you get the immediacy. Yep. You know, if it works or not. In radio, you, you, you don't know if they like it or not. You know, so it's quite nerve-wracking having that silence on the end. Um, but it's still, it's, it does feel great. It's a buzz. What, what do you prefer, radio or, or live? I have not done radio for so long that I've almost forgotten what it's like, Christian. But uh, I, I, for me, I prefer the the presenting experience of being live on stage. But what I love about radio and what I desperately miss about radio is the creativity involved with the production and there's, a, there's an art form to audio, isn't there? And people like Alex Baker, and I guess even before him, the fucking king of all of it, Tim Shaw. Like, yeah. a wizard. And production and stuff. Kerrang was. Maybe that's why I won two Sony Awards. Amen. It was funny. That's one of the things we're going bad. I was like, we just won a Sony Award. We just beat the BBC. And why aren't we celebrating? But little did we know in our station that some sales guy was embezzling money from uh, carpet floors. And, uh, Beginning of the end. It's just won the second Sony Award. Um, but it was a great station to work for. We had a great time over there. And, uh, How did you get involved there? I think I asked you earlier, but we never quite so I finished, so I explored it. Ten years, and then, um, and then it finished, and I finished Rad. I finished my van stint. So all of a sudden, they had my third kid, and I had no income. And I got offered. Uh, I, I did a, I did a, a voiceover for Carl Pinkerton at XF, XFM. Yeah, yeah. Sounds insincere. You're like, yeah, stop ramming it down my throat, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're losing Bing Low. What an unlikely combination of people as well. <laughs> Yin and Yang, isn't it? Well, I had no money, and uh, I had an expensive house because I was making TV money, so I basically slept on Lars's floor. <laughs> that sounds like Lars. <laughs> Love you, Lars. He was so supportive to me. Like He let me have free reign, really, with the music on my show. He put the trust and faith in my hands, and it got to a point where he sort of passed over a lot of the guest booking to me as well and allowed me to build my own contact pool and he was like a really well everybody there to me because i was that little bit younger than everyone else i was 24 when i started hosting the evening show 
it was my first gig really in radio like i'd done cover on kerrang for eight months or so and i'd helped henry and then he got married and he decided he wanted his evenings free because he wanted to be with his wife so he moved to i can't remember where he went straight after kerrang yeah and then i took over the evening show and it was my first like national radio gig with that show and i was like fuck <laughs> it's the best what year were you doing it what years uh Yep. And then I think I programmed eight hours of television on Saturday night. So I programmed Tim Woolwich's show. I hosted a show called Deep Cuts. I did a, and I also did a, um, I did a, a, a top 40 show. Yeah, yeah. Top 40 rock show. So I had three specialty shows, two I presented, and all three I programmed. Um, apart from the rock show. So, yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot. And then, but I was so into new music. I really was trying to bring in the alternative element because we were getting playlists of the Scouting for Girls, which suck. Dog's Eggs, you know, Pigeon Detectives, all this kind of twink crap. I was like, why is this song correct? You know, if we're going to play anything, you know, um, indie and alternative, let's play Friendly Fires because those guys have a bit of shoegaze in there, you know, fusion of guitars. You know, let's play some more kind of stuff like that if we're going to go that way. But we were, we were the first station to play Casey Elephant, you know. Yeah. Silverson Pickups was a band you used to champion a lot, right? Kings of Leon, I was playing them really early. Kasabian over there, I've just seen there's a signed, uh, was it Gold record of their first album? So you must have interviewed a lot of those guys at the very early stages in their career, right? MGMT, we're the, we're the first to play them, we championed them when they played the Academy, the Bar Academy. Academy 3. Yeah, Academy, yeah, the time. And they've got like two million followers all over social media. And Juliet Lewis does a lot of stuff with them. She plays with them. And she sucked face with me in Madrid. Really? I was on a plane with her. I was on a plane <laughs> with Rebel X Fighters for Rebel. I was hosting this plane with all these VIPs, and I see this woman jumping over seats. And I'm like, she's boisterous. And then she pops next to me, just flies over her seats. And he's like, "Where are you from?" I go, "Maryland." He's like, "Hey, my guitar's from Maryland." Ollie, come here. This guy's from Maryland. And then uh, she was performing with Dirty Sanchez. Really? On stage. It's all coming together. <laughs> and, then, um, and then she came off stage right before her, her encore, just just planted the biggest kiss on my lips. I was like, thanks. Mallory, Mallory Knox. I interviewed her. She's a live wire, isn't she? Yeah. Live wire. She goes out of Brad Wilk now from Rage Against the Machine. No, she, yeah, yeah. She was married to Steve. She was married to that pro skater who was into Scientology. Yeah, I think she still is very much in that Steve world. Barra. There you go. Yeah. Um, on the evening show, they had the head of Scientology on, and, it, and I was doing a thing on one of my shows called. Not live in the studio, surely. They had him live on the studio. So wow. I was doing my name is Earl moments where I would play one song, a show for my name is Earl, <laughs> and because uh, it was always a good soundtrack, I get to play yeah, yeah. and stuff like that, and some honky tonk, and uh, and when I found out the entire staff, the entire cast were Scientologists, and of course we knew Tom Cruise, but that 
You know, I love Beck. My favorite video of all time on YouTube is Beck Reimagining Sound and Vision by David Bowie. If you're, if you're listening to anybody, just go on to YouTube. Don't listen to any more of his interviews. <laughs> yeah, come back. Come back. <laughs> Interlude. Yeah, go watch that video when you have time. Um, and I went to, I, I, you know, we were just finishing our show. I was doing the handover. And I said to the guy, um, it might have been a pre-recorded, right? It might have been pre-recorded before we went on there. And he said, you've got all the good ones. Where am I missing out on? Please sell me on Scientology. But the, he just looked at me and really, there was no way he'd get a word with me. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Did you watch the Louis Theroux film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think from a stylistic point of view, I didn't like the format as much as his TV shows. If that makes sense, I just didn't think it kind of like suited his style as well. But what a bold and brave man to go into that world! How are we looking? Is it almost chicken time? Cool. Alrighty. DJ Barbecue living up to his name. Um, speaking of big balls, you mentioned the other day about interviewing someone who said to you that Sasha Baron Cohen has the biggest balls in Hollywood. Who was that? No, no, I. It wasn't Sasha Baron Cohen. Because I've had the biggest balls in Hollywood. <laughs> it's true, people. I'm looking at them. My nickname was Elephant Nuts in college. So I. This is a very embarrassing story. So Helgor Helgerson, who was probably top three best snowboarder in the world. We're, we're getting hammered some monster event. I'm DJing some dance party with all the monster girls. And um, we were having a ball off. Ball. <laughs> like, I got the biggest balls there is. And he's called me Elephant Nuts. It's like, I got old man balls. Next thing you know, he's like, you're going to do a shot out of the bird bath. And I'm like, what the hell is a bird bath? And because I had a pint of Grey Goose vodka, next thing I'm on my knees doing monster and Grey Goose out of his uh, bird bath. <laughs> Even the dog looks disappointed in you. Yeah, well, then, you know, everybody's like making fun of me the next day. You did a shot of the Heldor Helgerson's ball sack. Next night, there's a queue of all the top athletes and musicians all doing shots out of Hell because everybody loves Heldor. Yeah, he's yeah. Icelandic. He's just this larger than life character. He got thrown off the Icelandic uh, snowboard team because he was involved in some snowboard video that had a bit of naughtiness in it, like a Dirty Sanchez type video. So Iceland kicked him off the team. Wow. I was like, you shouldn't be bummed about that. He's like, I'm not, but my grandma was. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> now have another shot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel so bad because he was actually doing it in the nightclub. He, he, he foregoed the bathroom and he had a queue of about 12 people doing shots out of his ball sack in the middle of the nightclub. And the bouncer's like, Helgor, you have to stop you know, serving shots out of your, your balls. You see stuff like that? I don't know whether that would happen anymore because everyone now has a smartphone. Everyone would be filming it. It'll be all over YouTube or Facebook. You're right. This is like right kind of at the beginning of iPhones and the batteries never really last anyway, so you wouldn't be able to film it, you know, and the cameras are very bad on the iPhone. It's changed the whole partying game, I feel. Yeah, it's, you can't you gotta, it. No. you got to just batten down the hatches, haven't you? To, to be around, because my, so my friend um, lives near Robert Plant and he hangs out with Robert and they drink together and I go, what's it like going to the local pub with Robert Plant? He's like, he loves to tell stories of old. He loves to buy around. 
who just likes to share stories and, and play local bars. And, and I'm like, God, I just want your life. So I can just every now and then have that moment of sowing up at a bar and hearing old Zeppelin stories because they could get away with just debauchery. Yeah. And it was debauchery. It like ancient days of Rome style. <laughs> and that's, and that's why you and I like reading biographies and autobiographies because you know, the Marilyn Manson one I read, uh, of course, we've all read The Dirt, um, the, the Eagles, you know, I, I love these. That's why I bought the Keith Richards one, which I've been meaning to read. Um, Life. Yeah, that's the It's good. It's up there somewhere. Yeah, comic books are really good, too. Um, I might even have the, the Eagles one I can loan you. Nice. Killer. you got to read the No Effects one. I'll loan you I that. Love no Effects. They were my very first fi- film soundtrack. Were they really? That's my favorite No Effects album. It is my favorite Straight album. Edge, Bob, Dude, Sticking in My Eye, Liza and Louise. Was, was the first track on the movie that made me make snowboard films. So I made snowboard films from 1993 to 1997. And a movie called Roadkill came out by Fall Line Films. Dave Sealy directed it. And it opened up with Sticking in My Eye. So we used the Bugly Eyes for our, our, our slam section. And I forgot what other track we used. Because... Um, Epitaph would just give us their entire catalog. Mr. Brett just gave us the catalog. You know, use what you want. Next thing you know, I'm actually teaching Bad Religion how to snowboard when I was hosting MTV. So I had, I was on the mountain the day before the mountain opened with Bad Religion. And they, I think their guitarist was the kid that was from Circle Jerks. Yeah. He joined Bad Religion, I think, because Mr. Brett went off to, you know, run the label and stuff like that. But he would just give you everything. You know, Homesick, Pennywise, uh, you know, all the early, you know, Offspring, Offspring yeah. Smash was Epitaph, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We used, we used Nitro off that. We had Ignition, you know, off the first album. We used all those tracks on our first thing. He's like, use what you want. Don't worry about signing anything. Just take it. And, uh, and we, Golden we days. Delicious vinyl. They, they gave us, uh, you know, passing me, who's the passing me by guys? Farside. Things keep on passing me by. earlier shit, just because those, those labels knew that, that, that kind of... Exposure. Because that was cool that was the pre-internet exposure for how, how do you find cool music? Snowboard, snowboard skate videos, skate videos, BMX videos. That was my introduction to so many bands of that alternative era, be it punk, rock, or hip hop. Exactly. It was all in there, wasn't it? And the games. Didn't you soundtrack a couple of computer like computer games yeah, as well? Yeah, so I did. Um, yeah, pull, pull them down. So would you be like executive producer? Yeah, I exec produced the soundtracks and I did the, um, and I did the uh, main voice actor. So the, oh, so what, were you like a radio host within the game, like yeah, Grand Theft Auto style? Voice, but, I mean, Let me check, give you that. Check, these, uh, check out the like, You'll be impressed with my soundtrack. I mean, How'd you get a gig like that? Were you on Kerrang at that time? So I had a buddy, I used to be the team manager of a PlayStation, and a buddy of mine was at PlayStation, was at Sony at the time, and he left to work for Codemasters. Here we go. Check out this soundtrack. Though. I'm very proud of the soundtrack. I mean, I did soundtracks for all my snowboard films for Rad. Um, and then, uh, so he's Christian, I want one I want one of your snowboard movie vibes. I want the voice. I want the music. I want the energy. I want that alternative vibe. So we've got everything from Biffy Clyro. We have mountains on there. Um, Black Flesh, Jeremy Kyle as a marked man. I remember that song. Block Party Helicopter. We had Talons. Um, who else? I mean, there's some good stuff in here. Um, 
McHale lovesick, friendly fires in the hospital. Friends for Ned Ulysses, grounds for divorce, elbow. Want to be in L.A., you live in that metal. That's my jam. Around the world, being a basketball pileup. Um, my Delirium, Lady Hawk, Medina Lake. So you're pulling off basically what would have been a lot of the evening show music at that time on Kerrang, right? Please the Stone Age, you know, uh, Little Sister, Rise Against Injection. I mean, those are big songs. Say Aha, Santa Gold. They say, you know, Scars on Broadway. Yeah, I love that song. Um, Bumpin' Stedler, I used to love Stedler. White Denim's on here. Templeton Pack looked up our friends. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Silver Sun Pickups, The Watchmen, The Rat, I got on there. That's a big tune. That would be one of my dream gigs, I think, like soundtracking TV shows, soundtracking films, soundtracking computer games. Yeah, I loved it. What a fun thing Stone to do. Roses, this is the one. I got that really? Yeah. Full version. Full version. Dun, 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 dun. Engage, yeah. So I um I turn I turn around and just put my microphone over there if I call something and he's coming down the red carpet and he's scratching his head, blowing off all the interviewers, and then he just kinda sees me, he's like, Where do I know you? And I and the whole red car is looking at me and I'm on the other side of the, the velvet ropes. I'm like, oh, I don't know. He's like, I know you. He's turning this he didn't he was not Alex Turner, he was like a little kid. And I look to his left and there's Anton the PR guy for, I was telling you about with um, Foo Fighters, Nirvana, he, he was the press guy for all those dudes. And I, and I look at it, I go, I go, Anton! He's like, Christian! And then I was like, you know him? And Anton's like, yeah, it's Christian. Christian Stevenson. So Alex jumps over the rope, Channel 5, 10.30, Saturday morning, you're the rad guy. <laughs> I go, yeah, Christian Stevenson. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. I'm Alex Turner. I go, nice to meet you, Alex. And then everybody's just staring at us, you know, because he's not talking to anybody. And I go, well, it looks like I can get a question. <laughs> like, what are you listening to? And he goes, the, um, the scene. We, we start seeing Bobby, Bobby Darren because he was doing that album with um, Miles Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Puppet, so he was really into Bobby Darin. All that swing. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. It's really weird that these bands that grew up on Rad, um, because we would put ads at the end of me. Asking for music, and we go. So we have no budget for music, but we will put your name, your band, and your track, kind of like the way MTV would at the beginning of, of the video. Yeah, that's how we would help promote them. I think for me, I, I only remember Sidewalk and Rad as my two exposures within the media to that culture at that time. Yes, yeah, Sidewalk Skateboard Magazine. Well, it's funny. I, I mean, I'm, this is, I love doing podcasts, and thank you for even having me on the show. My pleasure, dude. Oh 
Um, here's an idea for you, dude. Shall we pause here, eat some food, and then come back and talk all about the you know food chapter in your career? I think that's a nice little interlude and then springboard for DJ Barbecue and all things K-Tainment, yeah? All right, brother. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, there's so much I wanted to talk to you about, but I guess we're a bit pressed on time. I wanted to quickly ask you about the Instagram party that you DJed <laughs> off the back of influencing on social media. So tell us about that and how that came about and the night itself. What happened? What went down? Two weeks. Yeah, they wanted a book in two. They go, I'm on holiday tomorrow to Portugal. I'd rather not write the book while on holiday. I'd rather spend it with my kids and my family. But I will. They go, as soon as you get back, you have two weeks to deliver it. I'm like, okay, on holiday, uh, we were at a pool party. My laptop was playing music. Blew up in the sun. Lost a year and a half of recipes. Oh, my God. It wasn't backed up. Two essential ingredients to any DJ barbecue set. <laughs> 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 
spoiling it for everyone. Not you, him. I'm trying to play some music. I look up and I'm just like, so many like hot, beautiful women. You know, like they look like they're from California. They were like models and actresses. And I'm, and I'm like, hey, well, this is. They must have hired some girls to be here, you know. And then amongst them all, right in the middle, right in front of me on the dance floor, was Jared Leto. And I'm like, Jared Leto's here? Now I know Madonna and bless him, Bowie told me to quit name dropping. Jared <laughs> Leto's there, right? So I'm like, okay, what do you play for Jared Leto? by friends just to be cool but I had to wee it's really hard to wee in the spandex because you have to unzip it so I ran towards the toilets you know put a CD on and took it took it to remain you know so it keeps of course yeah yeah you know how to do it and then um, at the top of the stairwell was David Loftus who was my photographer uh, David's photographer um, just did one of the Middleton's book um, and he's like DJ Barbecue DJ Barbecue come here come here DJ Barbecue Pippa Middleton, Pippa Middleton, DJ Barbecue. <laughs> so I was like, what do you say to Pippa Middleton that no one's ever said to her? So I spun around and I pointed at my zipper, I'm like, Pips, can you unzip me, please? I really got to do a week. <laughs> <laughs> so she did, you know, she giggled and unzipped me. And I said, my spandex. And I, well, thank you so much. I ran out of the stairs, kind of giggling to myself, unleashed, came back up, and I you know, realized that maybe I was a bit rude. I go, I'm really sorry about that, Pip, Pips. Clock's ticking. I bowl over Ronnie Wood. And he's just cackling at me because here's a tall, long haired dude in an American flag jumpsuit, you know, running over him. It ain't that hard to do because he's quite small. <laughs> and uh, he's like, ah, like the Wicked Witch of the West. He's like, I look. <laughs> and then I, I'm, I'm so sorry, Mr. Wood. And I look to the left and there's Boy George laughing at me. So I get behind the decks and I'm like, there's, there's Jared Leto amongst that throngs of models. And I, Where do I go next? I play my next song. To my left, where the pizza oven is, and there's Boris Becker. And guess who he's talking to? Tiny Tampa. <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. When is that gonna happen? Instagram story party. Uh, Instagram, Instagram party, not Instagram story someday. Um, <laughs> you know, we ended up drinking all night with James Nesbitt. Amazing. He me? likes to cut it loose, right? Well, It's something amazing about the way people hit a certain level of fame and then they just all mingle together. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, you guys would never interact okay. in normal life, yeah. but here we are. <laughs> okay, I always see the Hemsley sisters like, you're in every issue of Evening Standard and all like, you know, who's your publicist to go to all this stuff, you know? But again, I, I like my lifestyle because when I see my friends, you know, it's, a, it's backstage at rock gigs or it's, you know, food festivals and 
that's my world is food and rock and roll so when did you obviously you mentioned earlier on that the food's always been there in the family and a part of your life since as long as you can remember when do you make the transition from being a broadcaster and being involved in extreme sports and predominantly music-based television and radio and make the leap because dj barbecue is just you that's not like a character that you've sat down and come up with out of nowhere well i mean it's a character i've I developed that's part of me you know i, I you, you and i dj and i've always with the djs and think god you look boring do something so when i was doing all the festivals i started dressing up and just you know do costume changes dress up like i was in poison and, and then next thing i'm dressing up as like a liberace meets uh, iggy pop you know kind of character and white fur coats with spandex but the face very alice cooper um and then I kind of had this epiphany on the banks of Loch Ness. I was doing Rock Ness Festival, and it was like we had a full tent, and the girls started taking their tops off, and the guys started taking their tops off. I'm looking at all these young people going, what the hell am I going to do when I turn 40? <laughs> you know, can I keep playing to naked, you know, young 20-something-year-olds? You know, be, is it weird or is it okay? So that's when I came up with this idea of, I'm going to bring my two loves of barbecue and DJing and put them together to create a destination, create a catertainment area where we might come for the food. We'll stay for the music. We'll just come for the music. We'll stay for the food. And then we keep you there. And it's a destination. And I spent from 2012 to now developing that brand. And now we're the third biggest brand across all social platforms for barbecue. We've got two best-selling books out. I'm writing my third book right now, the, the Burger Book. So the barbecue book came out, I think, four years ago. Fire Food came out in April. Was this an Amazon chart topper yeah, as well? Number one, I got the orange badge. That's incredible, dude. Oh, no. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, so it's going really good. And, and, and I, I, think I love the cover. I love, and I, I, what I wanted to do, because I think food books look a bit boring. It's just always a plate of food on a really pretty plate. But I wanted to show the crew around me. You know, we all, you know, my, my right-hand man, the one me, Chris Taylor. Go with the big beard. He's in a, he just shaved it yesterday. Oh, I can't man. See my huge, where's, where's Chris? I mean, he's in a pirate metal band called Carry On in Basingstoke. And he, he actually built a double neck flying B bass guitar out of aluminum. It's 30 kilos. He can barely play three, two songs in it, and he has to put it down. <laughs> but he just loves, you know. The showmanship element, the same as you. Yeah. And because half my crew are like, you know, our food's so good. Why are you wearing spandex? It's a gimmick. And then the other guys, the rock and roll guys, are like, no, wear spandex. We're fun. Food's supposed to be fun. You know. What I like as well, dude, is just looking through this book now. Is obviously there's like a fun element, but you obviously take cooking and specifically barbecue cooking very seriously. Oh, God, yeah. And all of the you know setup techniques are in here, and there's like everything that anyone who has no idea about barbecuing needs to know to get into it. From beginners to intermediates to, to, to experts, there's something in there for everybody. But it's a great place to start or hone your skills. And I just think there's some adventurous recipes in there. Because I'm a world citizen and I've traveled the world. I've lived in Portugal, France, Australia, spent time in Pakistan and Japan. And, 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 and you know, just seeing how people cook. And, and I love food. So I'm just taking little ideas from everywhere and, you know, kind of creating my own recipes. I don't, I don't read other books. I don't watch food shows. I, I just try to keep it fresh. Keep it pure. Yeah. Why don't you, you know, read more books so you get ideas? I'm like, I'd rather just go travel and eat people's food and then get ideas. You know? There was the dude recently, obviously, who passed away, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh my God. 
and he was a real pioneer of that similar idea that food is about bringing people together and it's about experiencing the world through our mutual shared passions and joys and connections and food is like that one thing i think like music that breaks down barriers He's the master, isn't he? I only recently got into him again, sadly, since finding out about his death because I'd been aware of him through Asia Argento because I follow her on Instagram because I love her dad and all his work. And I was like, who's this guy? And then he passed away and the kind of level of tributes that came out from musicians and artists and all these people. Did I was like, you ever see more tributes on Instagram than for Anthony Bourdain? Never. I mean, even I mean, Prince I, and Bowie, I saw more for Bourdain because they got to follow a lot of foodies, but I saw more posts for him than I did for my biggest heroes, you know, Prince and... They, seem, they seemed more sincere and deep-rooted within the individuals as well. It seems like he touched so many people gave, with his philosophy. He gave people in the kitchen a voice because he exposed how hard it is to be in a kitchen and, and what happens. And, you know, being a chef is hard. Like, it's one of the hard... When we cook, our smoker runs from Thursday at 4 o'clock till Sunday in the evening. It's 24-7. It's not plugged in. It's airflow and... You know, look, when you and I were sitting here doing the food, I, I let the chicken get away from me, and there was too much airflow in there, and it was about, you know, 15 minutes overdone. It's still good, but it could have been more perfect because I wasn't monitoring it because we got caught up in stories. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but you have to keep an eye on your food. You know, it's not – in barbecue, it's done when it's done. Yeah. There's no numbers. There's no precise. You know, you, pro, you probe your food. You touch your meat. You rub your meat. You know, you feel it. You can use a temperature to see where you're at. And it's just learning how to handle, you know, handle your, your heat, your fuel. And I just think cooking over live fire is more primal. I like the way that you embrace that side of it as well. And it's not sanitized and it's not like everything's all washed down and, you know, perfectly like spotless. Like you embrace that outdoory element, even with the photos in the book. Like there's so much stuff of you like outdoors with the kids, with your crew. Is it really? Is that where it's all done? Smashed avocado burgers with drizzled with pomegranate molasses and 
my dirty Baba Ganoush, my smacked ribeye, and just seeing all these people attempting these dishes and then nailing them and saying, oh my God, I need a tomato pie. It's life-changing. All my friends and family think, you know, I'm the best. Thank you so much. And you're empowering people. There's no better feeling than that. Uh, other than, I think, being in a band and rocking out a crowd or being a DJ and entertaining a crowd. You and I get that buzz every time we DJ. I get that buzz every time someone puts a photo on Instagram and says, I did your tomato pie. It was one of the best things I ever had. I didn't think something so simple could be that delicious. What I love as well that you also do, though, is you acknowledge the fact that you can barbecue all year round. And I've been watching your stuff on YouTube for a few years now, and you'll be out there in the rain. You'll be out there in the cold. The sunshine, <laughs> and you thing. don't need sunshine to barbecue, do you? That is the other thing. Like, obviously, that's the ideal scenario. No, it's not. Dude, this is, this is, everybody's got this wrong, bro. Right. The best time to cook barbecue is in the fall and in the spring when it's a bit colder. I love cooking barbecue in the winter, man. Because that's when I want to stand around hot coals. I do not want to stand around hot coals when it's hot as fuck out. Makes sense. That is why do we only stock charcoal, lump wood, and briquettes in the supermarkets from from June to September. When it's hot as heck. I, I, I go on this morning every year <laughs> on Philip Schofield's show. And, yeah, yeah. And he, they always bring me on the hottest day of the year. And he's like, why is it that we decide to... Always light the coals up on the hottest day of the year. I'm like, yeah, exactly, Phil. You should be cooking barbecue when it's cold out. That's when I want to be outside and to be warm. But you're right. So I you encourage know. people to get out there in the winter and Best time to cook. embrace the, the elements. Otherwise, you're sitting in front of, like, dumbass reality television. Love Island or shit like that, yeah. Although I do. <laughs> I've, I've only seen the kind of people talking about it online. I've never checked it out, so I don't know the vibe. What is it? Is it gay guys trying to spot the straight guy, or what's no, the? It's five, it's five gay men who go to these dudes' houses and just turn their life around. So one is in charge. What of kind mind. of domesticate them? No. Or so each one is specialized. So one does food. Antoine does food. Bobby Burke's interior design. Um, uh, Camaro Camuru. He does the mind. Uh, Jonathan. Oh my! God. <laughs> He's your guy. He is probably my favorite top five favorite personality out there when i first saw him like this guy's annoying and then you just fall in love with these hair and makeup oh you're gonna fall in love with jonathan you're gonna, like, you're gonna call me after the third episode where you hate him the first one you know, christian i think jonathan is my favorite person in the world i get it now too. he is just because you're a broadcaster and you love quick wit and to watch someone with that kind of quick wit from you don't know where and deliver it with with enthusiasm and caring but with humor yeah and he's got it and then i forgot and then there's one more character anyway they come to these dudes they're kind of maybe setting their ways and you know having a hard time and they, they turn them around you know give them a new look their house a new look their mind a new, a new mind and, and give them, just give them so it's one of those rare things which is actually like a reality tv show with a positive spin yeah. and it's not about laughing at the misfortune or the lack of talent of you're, 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 whatever you're joe blogs they're going to bring in off the street yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, next, you know, me and my son Blue, who's in a hardcore punk band, we're rinsing them. You know? <laughs> I guess it's like that thing of don't have too much of an elitist attitude towards music, towards television, towards cooking, yeah. towards anything. Like break down those barriers and I, I was one of them. be less of a snob. I was a snob to pop music until I was like, screw it, keep ladies on the dance floor, and that's when 
I, I was DJing. The first time I met Jamie Oliver, I was doing his 15 Minute Meal book launch party and got to meet Jules Oliver. And that's one, and he had a lot of gay people there. And I was like, okay, there's a lot of women and a lot of gay people here. I need to keep them on the dance floor. What do you drop? Disco. Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody for disco. And that's where I went. And, and that's when I realized, Christian, quit being fucking precious about playing cool music. Quit trying to teach him stuff. Quit trying to, like, you know, you know, I love teaching people my favorite music. And that's what we need. We do this broadcast. But when it comes to partying and dancing, just give them fucking good party music and get them on the dance floor. Amen. And wait till the, wait till the guys are drunk, you know, before, and, and the women are drunk so you can play some of the hits for the guys and the girls won't leave. You know, you don't want to make it too testosterone fuel because they'll leave and then you're screwed. Yeah, if you keep playing stuff like White Stripes, Save the Nation Army and kind of, you know, testosterone heavy songs, then the dudes are going to take over and the girls are going to leave and then the guys are going to turn around and realize the girls are gone and they're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always play Holiday by Madonna. And so good. This textbook DJ 101. <laughs> Dude, I want to finally ask you this kind of question, and I wanted to spend a bit longer on this, but I feel like it's important to raise and bring up. Um, cooking with meat, and obviously in the kind of culture we're in now with a lot of people, you know, p- perhaps criticizing people who do work with meat and saying that's cruel. Um, I wonder if you could just shed some light on responsible food sourcing and responsible sure. cooking and perhaps address that criticism. They are, aren't they? In the last two to three years, like when you started, I don't think it was as much of a thing at all. But in the last two to three years, it's really risen to the surface of popular consciousness, isn't it? Of course. And we do need to go to a plant-based diet. I think, you know, meat should be a treat. But here's the thing. You know, and, and, and I've, I've spoken to this to the Matthew, Matthew Pritchard because he's very ethical. And I'm ethical. And I do not agree with um, commercial farming. What I do agree with is farms need animals. Animals need farms. You know, farms need these animals. You know, they need the, the, they need their poo because there's no heavy metals in animal poo. There's heavy metals in our poo, which is why they don't put our poo on food. So animals, you know, that 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 manure helps grow your vegetables. If it wasn't for you know our food, you, you know, vegetarians wouldn't have their food. It's how, it's how a farm works. So the way I look at it is, farms. Need animals, animals need farms, and I will eat that animal at the end of their life. You know, let, give me an animal. That's, I, I don't like fast raising animals like, you know, cows eighteen months, chickens, you know, you know, three or four months. The last thing that develops on poultry is the fat content, which is why turkeys always dry as fuck because you haven't let it live to six months, and it's at that six month around that six month where the fat starts developing. Fat's a catalyst, and fat's flavor. And you can cook a turkey in almost half the time if it's got all that fat in there. So you spend a bit more on a slow-growth bird, or the bird to live a, a better life, and then I'll eat it. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just it's just food for food's sake, and it's not ethical. It's just for factory farming. It's just to feed the masses, and I understand that, but we can do that with vegetables. And even vegetables get factory, you know, raised, not farmed, but, you know, it's just we can do it all a bit better. And one thing we have to watch out for is the bees, because if we don't have bees, we're fucked. And all 
these pesticides and monosato and you know we need to we need to take a hard look on how we look after the oceans how we look after our farming if you want to sustain this lifestyle sustain this planet so yeah we need to use it. i always say you know, eat less meat but when you do eat meat do make sure it's got traceability provenance qual- better quality if you're going to eat meat um and is that the case of getting all your meat from the butchers if possible Okay. So my, my, my butcher, Nathan Mills, is on meat, my book, he owns the butchery in Forest Hill. He's about to open up one of Snowfields. He sources straight from the farm, so he knows what the animal eats. He knows the farmer. He knows how they're looked after. He likes to buy older animals. Like, he'll, he'll find a 10-year-old Dexter. He'll find a 14-year-old Dexter cow that's near the end of his life. Then he'll eat it. But the whole thing with the spine and, and BS, you know, you know, the whole oh, mad cow disease, I started saying you can't have an animal past 18 months, and that's... And, but you can. You just have to remove the spine and we do all the meat. And there are a, a lot of these safety regulations that have harmed our way of being more ethical. Yeah. Because of safety reasons. I understand that. But, you know, a lot of it killed the dairy industry. And a lot of the industry, you know, I stopped I stopped doing all dairy. I stopped doing all dairy. I do butter. I think we need certain animal fats. I think we, we need them. I don't think we should do margarine, but I do butter. I won't do milk. I think milk slows us down, um, but I do like butter, and I think it's good for us. Um, but I am eating less meat. I'm eating better quality meat when I do so. Says a man who just served you a roast chicken. And a man who enjoyed that chicken, and that's probably the sixth time in two years that I've eaten meat. <laughs> and it's nice because you, you save it for special occasions when it's like oh, a treat. As you say, meat should be a treat. I should have made you a flat iron steak, which was my thing, but I, I need to get that chicken cooked. So. you got to do it, and you got King Lear tonight. Um, <laughs> Killer. If people want to find out more about you, your work, and uh, where can they get the book first of all, and then where do they go on the World Wide Web to follow you and keep up to date with what's going on? Just put DJ BBQ into YouTube, into Google. You'll see the website, um, which is our web store. So we have signed books there available as merch. But uh, the main thing is the YouTube channel. So we've got over, I think, 300 videos online, free recipe videos on Jamie, Jamie Oliver's food channel and my DJ Barbecue channel. So everything, indoor, outdoor, you know, live fire, you know, family recipes, crazy stuff where I ask my kids, what do you want dad to make? Let's do a fish and chip waffle. Let's make a cheeseburgerama. There's silly stuff like that. And then really, you know, your, your classic pulled pork, your classic burgers. Um, and then Instagram, DJ BBQ, and then DJ underscore BBQ on Twitter. And hopefully you'll see me at a festival sometime and uh, come by for some barbecue. But we have introduced a really big uh, vegetarian uh, menu now. Gone, I love it. We've gone very big. You know, we got, we've got a, a smoky, chunky chips. We smoke the potatoes first, then we chunk them up and then deep fry them. Uh, we've got a... I love cooking with vegetables, man. Uh, I, I get a real hit off of it. That's why the book, I think, is popular because people know how to do burgers. They know how to do steaks. But they're just a bit uncomfortable with vegetables. So it's that classic thing, isn't it? Of well, what do you have with the vegetables? Because everybody just presumes that vegetables are like a side, yeah. and it's trying to break that mentality and go. Well, actually, you can have a delicious, nutritious main course with purely vegetables. Well, you know, you know tomorrow, I, I, I curate and host Meatopia every year. It's a big meat festival, and we headline with Yota Michelin, the most famous, you know, Middle Eastern kind of chef, and he held up Swede. We're going to slow cook Swede in front of a carnivore crowd. He got booed, but it was a pantomime. Yeah, and uh, you know that you know everybody laughed it off. I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna, well, I'm never 
Could have gone either way there. Final question, and then we'll end it. Pick out one recipe in here which you think would be a really good go-to starter for anybody who buys this book and they haven't yet delved into any of the recipes. Could you recommend one? I can do it. Yeah? Um, do you know it off the top of your head? Yep. yep. It's going to be uh, it's a vegetarian recipe. It's, um, it's an Appalachian recipe from my neck of the woods. My mom was from Laguna Beach. And um, it's, a, it's a tomato pie. And it's kind of like leftover food like a, a paella paella is a leftover dish it's like you know your aunt or your mom or your grandma goes into the fridge you know in Spain somewhere and just pulls everything out and just chucks it in with some rice the rest of the pork some prawns that were sitting in there and just makes a paella same thing you know bread you know day old bread tomatoes some cheese some mayo some red onion and you layer it up like a pie and you bake it or you put it in your cooker and you cook, cook it indirect and when you have it it's such a cheap thing to make it's so morsh. That, the dirty baba ganoush, like cooking, you know, aubergines straight on the coals and making the baba ganoush that way, and then the smack ribeye. I learned that from Neil Rankin. I learned it from um, Adam Perry Lang. Big fat ribeye. You smack it with a frying pan. You create more surface area. You, you, you break open uh, the area around the fat so you can render the fat because the fat's flavor. But there's so many fun recipes in there that, that I think people get stuck in. But I'm, re- I'm I spent four years on that book and I'm really proud of it. And um, I should have a new book out by next year uh, called the Burger Book. Amazing. So I'm working on that right now. So yeah, th- there's my three recipes, and I'll, I'll give you a copy of book number one, which is the barbecue book. Killer. I think anybody listening to this will have just gotten off the tones in your voice and the excitement levels in your voice. How much you engage and love food and cooking and it's really nice to be in the presence of someone who has so much enthusiasm for it as a a craft and an art form and if people go watch your videos on youtube as well they'll see how much fun you bring into the cooking environment so thanks thanks for spreading the joy through food christian you spread the joy of music and personalities with you know you're a fellow broadcaster and you know you and i both know broadcasting ain't easy and it's 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 a fun pursuit it's not an easy pursuit but it's it's in our blood and there's nothing better than entertaining people through storytelling, through music, through food. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 